Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Chapter 1. Dudley Demented. The hottest day of the summer so far was drawing to a close, and a drowsy silence lay over the large, square houses of Privet Drive. Cars that were usually gleaming stood dusty in their drives, and lawns that were once emerald green lay parched and yellowing. The use of hose pipes had been banned due to drought. Deprived of their usual car washing and lawn mowing pursuits, the inhabitants of Privet Drive had retreated into the shade of their cool houses, windows thrown wide in the hope of tempting in a non-existent breeze. The only person left outdoors was a teenage boy who was lying flat on his back in a flower bed outside number four. He was a skinny, black-haired, bespectacled boy who had the pinched, slightly unhealthy look of someone who had grown a lot in a short space of time. His jeans were torn and dirty, his t-shirt baggy and faded, and the soles of his trainers were peeling away from the uppers. Harry Potter's appearance did not endear him to the neighbors, who were the sort of people who thought that scruffiness ought to be punishable by law. But as he had hidden himself behind a large hydrangea bush this evening, he was quite invisible to passers-by. In fact, the only way he would be spotted was if Uncle Vernon or Aunt Petunia stuck their heads out of the living room window and looked straight down into the flower bed below. On the whole, Harry thought that he was to be congratulated on his idea of hiding here. He was not, perhaps, very comfortable, lying on the hot, hard earth, but on the other hand, nobody was glaring at him, grinding their teeth so loudly he could not hear the news or shooting nasty questions at him, as it happened every time he had tried sitting down in the living room and watching television with his aunt and uncle. Almost as though this thought had fluttered through the open window, Vernon Dursley, Harry's uncle, suddenly spoke. I'm glad to see that the boys stopped trying to butt in. Where is he, anyway? I don't know, said Aunt Petunia unconcernedly. Not in the house. Uncle Vernon grunted. Watching the news, he said scathingly. I'd like to know what he's really up to. As if a normal boy cares what's on the news, Dudley hasn't got a clue what's going on. Doubt he knows who the Prime Minister is. Anyway, it's not as if there'd be anything about his lot in our news. Vernon, shh, said Aunt Petunia. The window's open. Uh, yes, sorry, dear. The Dursleys fell silent. Harry listened to a jingle about fruit and brand breakfast cereal while he watched Mrs. Fig, a batty, cat-loving old lady from nearby, Wisteria Walk, ambling slowly past. She was frowning and muttering to herself. Harry was very pleased that he was concealed behind the bush. Mrs. Fig had recently taken to asking him around for tea whenever she met him on the street. She had rounded the corner and vanished from view before Uncle Vernon's voice floated out of the window again. Is Dudders out for tea? At the Pelkisses, said Aunt Petunia fondly. He's got so many little friends, he's so popular. Harry snorted with a... Harry repressed a snort with difficulty. The Dursleys really were astonishingly stupid about their son, Dudley. They had swallowed all of his dim-witted lies about having tea with a different member of his gang every night of the summer holidays. 
Harry knew perfectly well that Dudley had not been to tea anywhere. He and his gang had spent every evening vandalizing the play park, smoking on street corners and throwing stones at passing cars and children. Harry had seen them at it during their during his evening walks around Little Winging. He had spent most of the holidays wandering the streets, scavenging newspapers from bins along the way. The opening notes of the music that heralded the seven o'clock news reached Harry's ears and his stomach turned over. Perhaps tonight, after a month of waiting, would be the night. Record numbers of stranded holidaymakers fill airports as the Spanish baggage handler strike reaches its second week. Give them a lifelong siesta, I would, snarled Uncle Vernon over the end of the newsreader's sentence. But no matter. Outside in the flower bed, Harry's stomach seemed to unclench. If anything had happened, it would surely have been the first item on the news. Death and destruction were more important than stranded holidaymakers. He let out a long, slow breath and stared up at the brilliant blue sky. Every day this summer had been the same. The tension, the expectation, the temporary relief, then mounting tension again, and always, growing more insistent all the time, the question of why nothing had happened yet. He kept listening, just in case there was some small clue, not recognized for what it really was by the muggles, an unexpected disappearance perhaps, or some strange accident, but... The baggage handler's strike was followed by news on the drought in the southeast. I hope he's listening next door, bellowed Uncle Vernon, with his sprinklers on at three in the morning. Then a helicopter that had almost crashed in a field in Surrey, then a famous actress's divorce from her famous husband. As if we were really interested in their sordid affairs, sniffed Uncle Petunia. Uncle Petunia. Uncle Petunia would be a great Twitter handle, though, sniffed Aunt Petunia, who had been following the case obsessively in every magazine she could lay her bony hands on. Harry closed his eyes against the now blazing evening sky as the newsreader said, And finally, Budgie the... Bungie the Budgie has found a novel way of keeping cool this summer. Budgie, who lives at the Five Feathers in Barnsley, has learned to water ski. Mary Dorkins went to find out more. Harry opened his eyes again. If they had reached water-skiing Budgerigars, there was nothing else worth hearing. He rolled cautiously onto his front and raised himself onto his knees and elbows, preparing to crawl out from under the window. He had moved about two inches when several things happened in very quick succession. A loud, echoing crack broke the sleepy silence like a gunshot. A cat streaked out from under a parked car and flew out of sight. A shriek, followed by a bellowed oath and the sound of breaking china, came from inside the Dursley's living room, and as though Harry had been waiting for this signal, he jumped to his feet, at the same time pulling from the waistband of his jeans a thin wooden wand, as if he were unsheathing a sword. But before he could draw himself up to full height, the top of his head collided with the Dursley's open window and the resultant crash made Aunt Petunia scream even louder. Harry felt as though his head had been split in two. Eyes streaming, he swayed, trying to focus on the street and spot the source of the noise, but he had barely staggered upright when two large purple hands reached in through the open window and closed tightly around his throat. Put it away, Uncle Vernon snarled into Harry's ear. Now, before someone sees. Get off me, Harry gasped. For a few seconds, they struggled. 
Harry pulling his uncle's sausage-like fingers with his left hand, his right maintaining a firm grip on his raised wand. Then, as the pain and the throb on Harry's head give a particularly... Mm, then, as the pain and the top of Harry's head give a particularly nasty throb, Uncle Vernon yelped and released Harry as though he had received an electric shock. Some invisible force seemed to have surged through his nephew, making him impossible to hold. Panting, Harry fell forward over the hydrangea bush, straightened up, and stared around. There was no sign of what had caused the loud cracking noise, but there were several faces peering through various nearby windows. Harry stuffed his wand hastily back into his jeans and tried to look innocent. Lovely evening, shouted Uncle Vernon, waving at Mrs. Number Seven, who was glaring from behind her net curtains. Did you hear that cow backfire just now? It gave Petunia and me quite a turn. He continued to grin in a horrible, manic way, until all the curious neighbors had disappeared from their various windows. Then the grin became a grimace of rage as he beckoned Harry closer toward him. Harry moved a few steps forward, taking care to stop just short of the point at which Uncle Vernon's outstretched hands could resume their strangling. What the devil do you mean by it, boy? asked Uncle Vernon in a croaky voice that trembled with fury. What do I mean by what? said Harry coldly. He kept looking right and left up the street, still hoping to see the person who had made the cracking noise. Making a racket like a starting pistol right outside, uh... I didn't make that noise, said Harry firmly. Aunt Petunia's thin, horsey face was now appearing beside Uncle Vernon's wide purple one. She looked livid. Why were you lurking under our window? Yes, good point, Petunia. What were you doing under the window, boy? Listening to the news, said Harry in a resigned voice. His aunt and uncle exchanged looks of outrage. Listening to the news again? Well, it changes every day, you see, said Harry. Don't you be clever with me, boy. I want to know what you're really up to. Don't give me any more of this listening to the news. Tosh! You know perfectly well that you're not. Be careful, Vernon breathed Aunt Petunia, and Uncle Vernon lowered his voice so that Harry could barely hear him. That your lot don't get on our news. Well, that's all you know, said Harry. The Dursleys goggled at him for a few seconds, and Aunt Petunia said, You're such a nasty little liar. What are all those... She too lowered her voice so that Harry had to lip-read the next word. Owls doing if they're not bringing you news. Oh, ha! said Uncle Vernon in a triumphant whisper. Get out of that one, boy, as if we didn't know you get all of your news from those pestilential birds. Harry hesitated for a moment. It cost him something to tell the truth this time, even though his aunt and uncle could not possibly know how bad Harry felt admitting it. The owls aren't bringing me news, said Harry tonelessly. I don't believe it, said Aunt Petunia at once. No more do I, said Uncle Vernon forcefully. We know you're up to something funny, said Aunt Petunia. We're not stupid, you know, said Uncle Vernon. Well, that's news to me, said Harry, his temper rising, and before the Dursleys could call him back, he had wheeled about, 
crossed the front lawn, stepped over the low garden wall, and was striding off up the street. He was in trouble now, and he knew it. He would have to face his aunt and uncle later and pay the price for his rudeness, but he did not very much care at the moment. He had much more pressing matters on his mind. Harry was sure that the cracking noise had been made by someone apparating or disapparating. It was exactly the sound Dobby the house elf had made when he vanished into thin air. Was it possible that Dobby was here in Privet Drive? Could Dobby be following him right at this very moment? As the thought occurred, he wheeled around and stared back down Privet Drive, but it appeared to be completely deserted again. And Harry was sure Dobby did not know how to become invisible. He walked on, hardly aware of the route he was taking, for he had pounded these streets so often lately that his feet carried him to his favorite haunts automatically. Every few steps, he glanced back over his shoulder. Someone magical had been near him as he lay among Aunt Petunia's dying begonias. He was sure of it. Why hadn't they spoken to him? Why hadn't they made contact? Why were they hiding now? And then, as his feeling of frustration peaked, his certainty leaked away. Perhaps it hadn't been a magical sound after all. Perhaps he was so desperate for the tiniest sign of contact from the world to which he belonged that he was simply overreacting to perfectly ordinary noises. Could he be sure that it hadn't been the sound of something breaking inside a neighbor's house? Harry felt a dull, sinking sensation in his stomach, and before he knew it, the feeling of hopelessness that had plagued him all summer rolled over him once again. Tomorrow morning, he would be awoken by the alarm at five o'clock so that he could pay the owl that delivered the daily profit. But was there any point in continuing to take it? Harry merely glanced at the front page before throwing it aside these days. When the idiots who ran the paper finally realized that Voldemort was back, it would be headline news. And that was the only kind Harry, Har Harry cared about. If he was lucky, there would be owls carrying letters from his best friends, Ron and Hermione, though any expectation he had that the letters would bring him news had long since been dashed. We can't say very much about you-know-who, obviously. We've been told not to say anything important in case our letters go missing. I'm quite busy, but I can't give you details here. There's a fair amount going on. We'll tell you everything when we see you. But when were they going to see him? Nobody seemed too bothered with a precise date. Hermione had scribbled, I expect we'll be seeing you quite soon, inside his birthday card, but how soon was soon? As far as Harry could tell from the vague hints in their letters, Hermione and Ron were in the same place, presumably at Ron's parents' house. He could hardly bear to think of the pair of them having fun at the burrow while he was stuck at Privet Drive. In fact, he was so angry at them that he had thrown both of their birthday presents of Honeyduke's chocolate away unopened though he had regretted this after eating the wilting salad Aunt Petunia had provided for dinner that night. And what were Ron and Hermione busy with? Why wasn't he, Harry, busy? Hadn't he proved himself capable of handling much more than they? Had they all forgotten what he had done? Hadn't it been he who had entered the graveyard and watched Cedric being murdered and been tied to that tombstone and nearly killed? Don't think about that. Harry told himself sternly for the hundredth time that summer. It was bad enough that he kept revisiting the graveyard in his nightmares, without dwelling on his... It was bad enough that he kept revisiting the graveyard in his nightmares, without dwelling on it in his waking moments, too. 
He turned a corner into Magnolia Crescent. Halfway along, he passed a narrow alleyway down the side of a garage where he had first clapped eyes on his godfather. Sirius, at least, seemed to understand how Harry was feeling. Admittedly, his letters were just a bunch of... Um, uh, Admittedly, his letters were just as empty of proper news as Ron and Hermione's, but at least they contained words of caution and consolation instead of tantalizing hints. I know this must be frustrating for you. Keep your nose clean and everything will be okay. Be careful and don't do anything rash. Well, thought Harry, as he crossed Magnolia Crescent, turned onto Magnolia Road, and headed toward the darkening play park, he had, by large, done as Sirius advised. He had at least resisted the temptation to tie his trunk to his broomstick and set off for the burrow by himself. In fact, Harry thought his behavior had been very good, considering how frustrated and angry he felt at being stuck in Privet Drive this long, reduced to hiding in flower beds in the hopes of hearing something that might point to what Lord, Mo what Lord Voldemort was doing. Nevertheless, it was quite galling to be told not to be rash by a man who had served twelve years in the wizard prison, Azkaban, escaped, attempted to commit the murder he had been convicted of in the first place, then gone on the run with a stolen hippogriff. Harry vaulted over the locked park gate and set off across the parched streets. The park was as empty as the surrounding streets. Oh, parched streets. Let's try that again. Harry vaulted over the locked park gate and set off across the parched grass. The park was just as empty as the surrounding streets. When he had reached the swings, he sank onto the only one Dudley and his friends had not yet managed to break, coiled his arm around one chain and stared moodily at the ground. He would not be able to hide in the Dursley's flower bed again. Tomorrow he would have to think of some fresh way of listening to the news. In the meantime, he had nothing to look forward to than another restless, disturbed night. Because even when he escaped nightmares about Cedric, he had unsettling dreams about long, dark corridors, all finishing in dead ends and locked rooms, which he supposed had something to do with the trapped feeling he had when he was awake. Often the old scar on his forehead prickled uncomfortably. But he did not fool himself that Ron or Hermione or Sirius would find that very interesting anymore. In the past, his scar-herding had warned that Voldemort was getting stronger again, but now that Voldemort was back, it would probably remind him that its regular irritation was only to be expected. Nothing to worry about. Old news. The injustice of it all welled up inside him, so he wanted to yell with fury. If it hadn't been for him, nobody would even know that Voldemort was back, and his reward was to be stuck in little winging for four solid weeks. Completely cut off from the magical world, reduced to squatting among dying begonias so he could hear about the water-skiing Budrigars. How could Dumbledore have forgotten him so easily? Why had Ron and Hermione got together without inviting him along too? How much longer was he supposed to endure Sirius telling him to sit tight and be a good boy? Or resist the temptation to write the stupid Daily Prophet and point out that Voldemort had returned? These furious thoughts whirled around in Harry's head and his insides writhed with anger as a sultry, velvety night fell around him, the air full of the smell of warm, dry grass, and the only sound that of the low grumble of traffic on the road beyond the park railings. <sighs> he did not know how long he had sat on the swing before the sound of voices interrupted his musings 
and he looked up. The street lamps from the surrounding roads were casting a misty glow strong enough to silhouette a group of people making their way across the park. One of them was singing a loud, crude song. The others were laughing. A soft ticking noise came from several expensive racing bikes that they were wheeling along. Harry knew who these people were. The figure in front was unmistakably his cousin, Dudley Dursley, wending his way home, accompanied by his faithful gang. Dudley was as vast as ever, but a year's hard dieting and the discovery of a new talent had wrought quite a change in his physique. As Uncle Vernon delightedly told anyone who would listen, Dudley had recently become the junior heavyweight inter-school boxing champion of the Southeast. The noble sport, as Uncle Vernon called it, had made Dudley even more formidable than he had seemed to Harry in the primary school days when he had served as Dudley's first punching bag. Harry was not remotely afraid of his cousin anymore, but he still didn't think that Dudley learning to punch harder and more accurately was cause for celebration. Neighborhood children all around were terrified of him, even more terrified than they were of that Potter boy, who, they had been warned, was a hardened hooligan who attended St. Brutus's Secure Center for incurably criminal boys. Harry watched the dark figures crossing the grass and wondered whom they'd been beating up tonight. Look around, Harry found himself thinking as he watched them. Come on, look around. I'm sitting here all alone. Come and have a go. If Dudley's friends saw him sitting here, they would surely make a beeline for him, and what would Dudley do then? He wouldn't want to lose face in front of the gang, but he'd be terrified of provoking Harry. It would be really fun to watch Dudley's dilemma, to taunt him, watch him, to make him powerless to respond, and if any of the others tried hitting Harry, Harry was ready. He had his wand. Let them try. He'd love to vent some of his frustration on the boys who had once made his life hell. But they did not turn around. They did not see him. They were almost at the railings. Harry mastered the impulse to call after them. Seeking a fight was not a smart move. He must not use magic. He would be risking expulsion again. Dudley's gang's voices died. They were out of sight, heading along Magnolia Road. There you go, Sirius, Harry thought dully. Nothing rash. Kept my nose clean. Exactly the opposite of what you'd have done. He got to his feet and stretched. Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon seemed to feel that whenever Dudley turned up was the right time to be home, and any time after that was much too late. Uncle Vernon had threatened to lock Harry in the shed if he came home after Dudley if he came home after Dudley again, so, stifling a yawn, still scowling, Harry set off toward the park gate. Magnolia Road, like Privet Drive, was full of large, square houses with perfectly manicured lawns all owned by large square owners who drove very clean cars similar to Uncle Vernon's. Harry preferred little winging by night, when the curtained windows made patches of jewel-bright colors in the darkness, and he ran no danger of hearing disapproving mutters about his delinquent appearance when he passed the householders. He walked quickly, so that halfway along Magnolia Road, Dudley's gang came into view again. They were, staying there. They were saying their farewells at the entrance to Magnolia Crescent. 
Harry stepped into the shadow of a large lilac tree and waited. He squealed like a pig, didn't he? Malcolm was saying, took guffaws from others. That's the nice one, oh, big D, said Pierce. Same time tomorrow, said Dudley. I'll see you at my place. My parents are out, said Gordon. I'll see you then, said Dudley. Bye, Dad. I'll see you, Big D. Harry waited for the gang to move before setting off again. When their voices had faded once more, he headed around the corner into Magnolia Crescent, and by walking very quickly, he soon came within hailing distance of Dudley, who was strolling along at his ease, humming tunelessly. Hey, Big D. Dudley turned. Oh, he grunted. It's you. How long have you been Big D, then? said Harry. Shut it, snarled Dudley, turning away again. Cool name, said Harry grinning and falling into step behind his cousin. But you'll always be Eccle Diddikins to me. I said shut it, said Dudley, whose ham-like hands had curled into fists. Don't the boys know that's what your mum calls you? Shut your face. You didn't tell her to shut her face? What about Popkin and Diddy Dinky Diddycums? Can I use them then? Dudley said nothing. The effort of keeping himself from hitting Harry seemed to be demanding all of his self-control. So, who have you been beating up tonight? Harry asked, his grin fading. Another ten-year-old? I know you did Mark Evans two nights ago. He was asking for it, snarled Dudley. Oh, yeah? He cheeked me. Yeah? Did he say that you look like a pig that's been taught to walk on its hind legs? Because that's not cheek, Dud, that's true. A muscle was twitching in Dudley's jaw. It gave Harry enormous satisfaction to know how furious he was making Dudley. He felt as though he was siphoning off his own frustration onto his cousin, the only outlet he had. They turned right down the narrow alleyway where Harry had first seen Sirius, and which formed a shortcut between Magnolia Crescent and Wisteria Walk. It was empty and much darker than the streets that it lined. Oh, excuse me, than the streets that it linked, because there were no street lamps. Their footsteps were muffled between garage walls on one side and a high fence on the other. You think you're a big man carrying that thing, don't you? Dudley said after a few seconds. What thing? That, that thing you're hiding. Harry grinned again. Not as stupid as you look, are you, Dud? But I suppose if you were, you wouldn't be able to walk and talk at the same time. Harry pulled out his wand. He saw Dudley look sideways at it. You're not allowed, Dudley said at once. I know you're not. You'll get expelled from that freak school that you go to. How do you know they haven't changed the rules, Big D? They haven't, said Dudley, though he didn't sound completely convinced. Harry laughed softly. <laughs> You haven't got the guts to take me on without that thing, have you? Dudley snarled. Whereas you need just four mates behind you before you can beat up a ten-year-old? You know that boxing title you keep banging on about? How old was your opponent? Seven? Eight? He was sixteen for your information, snarled Dudley, and he was out cold for twenty minutes after I'd finished with him, and he was twice as heavy as you. 
You just wait till I tell Dad you had that thing out. You're running to Daddy now, are you? Who's his ickle boxing champion afraid of a nasty Harry's wand? Not this brave at night, are you? Sneered Dudley. This is night, Diddykins. That's what they call it when it goes all dark like this. I mean when you're in bed, Dudley snarled. He had stopped walking. Harry stopped too, staring at his cousin. From the little he could see of Dudley's large face, he was wearing a strangely triumphant look. What do you mean I'm not brave in bed? said Harry, completely nonplussed. What? Am I supposed to be frightened of pillows or something? I heard you last night, said Dudley breathlessly, talking in your sleep, moaning. What do you mean? Harry said again, but there was a cold, plunging sensation in his stomach. He had revisited the graveyard last night in his dreams. Dudley gave a harsh bark of laughter, then adopted a high-pitched, whimpering voice. Oh, don't kill Cedric! Don't kill Cedric! Who's Cedric? Your boyfriend? I... You're lying, said Harry automatically, but his mouth had gone dry. He knew Dudley wasn't lying. How else would he know about Sirius? How else would he know about Cedric? Dad, help me! Dad is going to kill me! Dad, boo-hoo! Shut up, said Harry quietly. Shut up, Dudley. I'm warning you. Oh, come and help me, Dad! Mum, come and help me! He's killed Cedric! Dad, come help me! He's going to... Don't you point that thing at me! Dudley backed into the alley wall. Harry was pointing his wand directly at Dudley's heart. Harry could feel fourteen years of hatred of Dudley pounding in his veins. What he wouldn't give to strike now. To jinx Dudley so thoroughly he'd have to crawl home like an insect, struck dumb, sprouting feelers. Don't ever talk about that again, Harry snarled. Do you understand me? Point that thing somewhere else. I said, do you understand me? Point it somewhere else. Do you understand me? Got that thing away from... Dudley gave an odd, shuddering gasp, as though he had been doused in icy water. Something had happened to the night. The star-strewn indigo sky was suddenly pitch black and the lightless... Suddenly pitch back, black and lightless. The stars, the moon, the misty street lamps at either end of the alley had vanished. The distant grumble of cars and the whisper of trees had gone. The balmy evening was suddenly piercingly, bitingly cold. They were surrounded by total, impenetrable, silent darkness, as though some giant hand had dropped a thick, icy mantle over the entire alleyway, blinding them. For a split second, Harry thought he had done magic without meaning to, despite the fact that he had been resisting as hard as he could. Then his reason caught up with him. He didn't have the power to turn off the stars. He turned his head this way and that, trying to see something, but the darkness pressed on his eyes like a weightless veil. Dudley's terrified voice broke in Harry's ear. What are you doing? Stop, stop it! I'm not doing anything. Shut up and don't move. I, I can't see. I've gone blind. I... I said shut up. 
Harry stood stock still. Turning his sightless eyes left and right, the cold was so intense that he was shivering all over. Goosebumps had erupted on his arms, and the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up. He opened his eyes to their fullest extent, staring blankly around, unseeing. It was impossible. They couldn't be here. Not in little winging. He strained his ear, strained his ears. He would hear them before he saw them. Oh, tell Dad, Dudley whimpered. Whoa, where are you? What are you do? Will you shut up? Harry hissed. I'm trying to listen. But he fell silent. He had heard just the thing he had been dreading. There was something in the alleyway apart from themselves. Something that was drawing long, hoarse, rattling breaths. Harry felt a horrible jolt of dread as he stood trembling in the freezing air. Cut it out! Stop it! I'll hit you! I swear I will! Dudley, shut! Bam! A fist made contact with the side of Harry's head, lifting Harry off of his feet. Small white lights popped in front of Harry's eyes. For the second time in an hour, he felt as though his head had been cleaved in two. Next moment, he landed hard on the ground, and his wand had flown out of his hand. You moron, Dudley! Harry yelled, his eyes watering with pain. As he scrambled to his hands and knees, now feeling around frantically in the darkness, he heard Dudley blundering away, hitting the alley fence, stumbling. Dudley, come back! You're running right at it! It was a horrible squealing yell, and Dudley's footsteps stopped. At the same moment, Harry felt a creeping chill behind him that could only mean one thing. There was more than one. Dudley, keep your mouth shut! Whatever you do, keep your mouth shut! Wand! He muttered frantically, his hands flying over the ground like spiders. Where's... Wand? Come on! Lumos! He said the spell automatically, desperate for light to help him in his search, and to his disbelieving relief, light flared inches from his right hand. The wand tip had ignited. Harry snatched it up, scrambled to his feet, and turned over. His stomach turned. A towering, hooded figure was gliding smoothly toward him, hovering on the ground. Hovering over the ground, no feet or face visible beneath its robes, sucking on the night as it came. Stumbling backward, Harry raised his wand. Expecto Patronum! A silvery wisp of vapor shot from the tip of the wand, and the Dementor slowed, but the spell hadn't worked properly. Tripping over his feet, Harry retreated further as the Dementor bore down upon him, panic fogging his brain. Concentrate. A pair of gray, slimy, scabbed hands slid from inside the Dementor's robes, reaching for him. A rushing noise filled Harry's ears. Expecto Patronum! His voice sounded dim and distant. Another wisp of silver smoke, feebler than the last, drifted from the wand. He couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't work the spell. There was laughter inside his own head. Shrill, high-pitched laughter. He could smell the Dementor's putrid, death-cold breath filling his own lungs, drowning him. Think. Think something happy. But there was no happiness in him. 
The Dementor's icy fingers were closing on his throat. The high-pitched laughter was growing louder and louder, and a voice spoke inside his head. Bow to death, Harry. Might even be painless. I would not know. I have never died. He was never going to see Ron and Hermione again. And their faces burst clearly into his mind as he fought for breath. Expecto Patronum! An enormous silver stag erupted from the tip of Harry's wand. His antlers caught the Dementor in the place where the heart should have been. It was thrown backward, weightless as darkness, and as the stag charged, the Dementor swooped away, bat-like and defeated. This way! Harry shouted at the stag, wheeling around. He sprinted down the alleyway, holding the lit wand aloft. Dudley! Dudley! He had run barely a dozen steps when he had reached them. Dudley was curled on the ground, his arms clamped over his face. A second Dementor was crouching low over him, gripping his wrist in its slimy hands, prizing them slowly, almost lovingly apart. Lowering its hooded head toward Dudley, as though we were about to kiss him. Get it! Harry bellowed, and with a rushing, roaring sound, the silver stag he had conjured came galloping past him. The Dementor's eyeless face was barely an inch from Dudley's when the silver antlers caught it. The thing was thrown into the air, and like its fellow, it soared away and was absorbed into the darkness. The stag cantered to the end of the alleyway and dissolved into a silver mist. Moon, stars, and street lamps burst back into life. A warm breeze swept the alleyway. Trees rustled in neighboring gardens, and the mundane rumble of cars in Magnolia Crescent filled the air again. Harry stood quite still, all his senses vibrating, taking in the abrupt return to normality. After a moment, he became aware that his t-shirt was sticking to him. He was drenched in sweat. He could not believe what had just happened. Dementors. Here, in Little Winging. Dudley lay curled up on the ground, whimpering and shaking. Harry bent down to see whether he was in a fit state to stand up, but then he heard loud, running footsteps behind him. Instinctively raising his wand again, he spun on his heel to face the newcomer. Mrs. Fig, their batty old neighbor, came panting into sight. Her grizzled gray hair was escaping from its hairnet, a clanking string of shopping bags swinging from her wrist, and her feet were halfway out of her tartan carpet slippers. Harry made to stow his wand hurriedly out of sight, but... Don't put it away, idiot boy, she shrieked. What if there are more of them around? Oh, I'm going to kill Mundungus Fletcher. And that is the end of chapter one. Let's go back to the library. Okay. Chat, how are things looking? How are things sounding is the important question. I it sounds like I've got some uh, some audio balancing to do with the music. Um, I, defi I definitely do not want it to be loud enough to be distracting. I would rather have it be slightly too quiet than slightly too loud. Um, so I will certainly work on that. Um, I got to get it to a point where I can... Um, monitor it but also 
uh, monitor my voice slightly more loudly. So we will see. Um, I'll have to uh, keep it down. I'll have to keep the latency behind the scenes stuff. Not important, you guys. So, chat, what's up? Annie, hello. Nate, thank you. Looks like you're, uh, you are assuming your responsibilities well. Um, by the way, if I get any of those idiots in here, um, who I think they, they just like to come in to get banned. They like to find new streams and get banned on them. Uh, if they say anything, I, I've gotten three instances of people just coming into chat, dropping a uh, racial slur or some phonetic variation on one. Um, go ahead and report them and get them out of here. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, it's interesting though, isn't it? Do you like this power? 21 viewers. Hello, everyone. That's a lot of people today. Um, yeah, general, I hope, uh, I hope, um, you have, uh, a peaceful time. Hopefully you can be, uh, doing something distracting later on this week. I'm glad you're here. And, uh, I, I know where you're coming from. I, I had a similar situation. Wasn't, it was a, a while ago, but I, I know how you feel with that. Dogs are excellent friends. Some of the best sometimes. <laughs> Mandy says, finally caught a live chat. Love all the voices. Please don't pop so loudly. Hurts when you listen to the headphones. Okay. Thank you for the feedback. I will keep that in mind. I'll, I'll have to turn away from the mic. It'll be, I'll be, <laughs> it'll be like chocolate rain. Um, yeah, okay, I can imagine how that would be pretty loud. My bad. Thank you for the feedback. Lynn says, do you ever mix up your voices? How do you remember which voice belongs to which person when there are so many characters? Um, it helps that this is my first time doing this volume of characters. So there are some characters that I already have names for, some, some voices that are, I already have names for. Um, but a lot of these... A lot of the voices that I do now are named for the the characters that they are in Harry Potter. For instance, Mundungus Fletcher, who we're about to hear in just a second. I just call the voice that I'm going to do for him, that voice, I just call it Mundungus. Um, I, I give every one of them, every unique one, a name so that I can at least, you know, keep notes about them. But for whatever reason, it's the only thing that my memory works properly for. Um, there are a lot of them. It also helps that I've done an out loud read through of all this material before. Um, I've done a, a, I've done it privately. Um, now I'm doing it for you guys on the stream. Um, and I've also, as of this book, I'm starting a spreadsheet. Um, Nate, got some spreadsheet going. Uh, kind of a, I've got a page for production. I've got a page for the voiceover stuff that'll, that holds all of my information on any new voices or any pending voices that I've got coming up that I need to sort out. For instance, um, I've got page numbers where we're introducing the characters Malcolm, Pierce, Gordon, Mrs. Fig, and Mundungus Fletcher. And by introducing, I just mean that's the first time that they've got dialogue. Um, so spreadsheet is going to be my new system. Uh, because yeah, I will occasionally like kind of double up. You may notice that, uh, well, I tell you what, there is a, a female voice that comes up semi-regularly. That is there are, I, I use it for two characters. It's this exact same voice. Oh, this is a, this is gonna be a really good way to make myself sad when you guys start making reasonable guesses. And it just, uh, it's a bunch of characters who I've wanted to sound really different, <laughs> but they sound identical. All right. Don't answer that question. Never mind. But, uh, there are two there are two characters that come up every once in a while 
kind of a tertiary supporting character. Um, but I do use the exact same voices for them because I have a lot less range of female voices than I do of male voices. <laughs> Julia says, if you enjoy Greek mythology, check out Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, on Spotify. Interesting. I know nothing about that. First I'm hearing about it, but it sounds fascinating. Charlotte Bliss says, hey, so happy to be listening to you live. Welcome. Uh, yeah, and then some discussion of Harry's sarcasm. He gets, I mean, he gets kind of mean here, doesn't he? He is, he really lays into, uh, into Dudley. Now, a lot of things that he is criticizing Dudley for, I think, are valid. Um, I am not condoning, I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, because someone is a bad person means that, uh, it justifies doing bad things to them. But the specific complaints that Harry has about Dudley are, it seems, well-founded. Assuming we've got a reliable narrator who is telling us the truth when uh, he says that, you know, Dudley and his gang go around throwing rocks at little kids. Charlotte Bliss says, final Harry Potter book. Harry Potter and dealing with extensive childhood trauma. I mean, that's all of them, isn't it? I don't. Th I think, like anyone who has experienced childhood trauma, although we're getting better about this, I think as a as a as a a planet, I think we're getting better at at uh, recognizing it and treating it as a as a um, an affliction rather than just uh, stumbling through the world with childhood trauma that you try to resolve throughout your life and never really know what to call it. Some people can do it okay. Some people have a hard time with it. But um, I think almost all of these books have been. Uh, and will continue to be Harry dealing with a lot of his childhood trauma. A lot of the, the mystery of not knowing where he belongs. Um, clearly, it's not with the Dursleys. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of people can go through life sort of not realizing that their story is one of dealing with unresolved childhood trauma and uh, fighting against that. Oh, man. I try, I'm trying to keep up with the chat, but, but uh, for the first time in a while or I should say starting more often now a little bit, uh, I'm having a hard time keeping up, which is good. It means there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff and I don't need to be a part of all of it. I think it's fantastic. Y'all are talking to each other. Um, Laura says, listen to the last book while on my computer at my day job. Definitely helps the day go by. Excellent. Um, General says, yeah, when the Dementors got him, he saw their actions from a more objective point of view and saw he needed to change. Interesting. That wasn't something I had considered. <laughs> Nathan says switch around your hotkeys thank you very much Nathan and Ashlyn thank you I will have to uh, switch around my hotkeys I'm going to take my five minute break I'm probably going to go do that now um, but uh, y'all feel free to have your time in chat Fahim's Corner welcome <laughs> says you have a nice voice thank you very much uh, yeah Mandy I will try to make my uh make my pop quieter um yeah right as you nate right as you uh right right i i mentioned the hotkey thing right after i saw your initial notification thank you very much i'm gonna go i'm gonna take my five minute break i'm gonna come back um while i'm on break i'm gonna change my hotkeys don't you worry and uh we will go on to chapter two book five book five book five how exciting is it get hype i'm excited See you in a bit. Hello, wonderful people. Welcome back. Moving on with chapter two. I have some bad news, uh, especially for Michaela, I believe. 
I don't have beans today. I, uh, I've got a couple of things I need to order. Um, that is one of them. I will have them here for next week, but uh, got a, a goofy letter from our from uh, one of our utilities people for a uh, a transaction that I happen to know and have evidence went through. So just need a sec on that, and then uh, I'll be able to make some make some orders. So how's chat doing? Talking about fairy tales. Interesting. Is this a, a specific like? fairy tales is this a, a specific thing or just fairy tales the uh the genre sleeping beauty yeah the grim brothers versions uh, a lot of them were very creepy it's interesting and i wonder like what is it what is it that makes makes people like telling each other scary stories Nowadays, I think it's because, you know, there's there's not a lot of danger to get into in, in a weird way. You know, much the world is much less dangerous. So in a time like the Brothers Grimm lived in, I wonder what their motivation was. Was it still to just sort of like thrill and, and uh, distract or was it a different sort of thing? I don't know. Nate, I don't know if you're still in here, but man, would it be nice to have you as a producer on this thing. I feel like you'd make an excellent producer for this. Somebody to... to jockey my soundboard and everything fantastic someday someday Kristen Staten says I made it to a live one yay still listening to the others but I saw you were live so hi hello we'll see you in uh, a live one in the future when you've caught up all right so quick review last chapter we uh, opened book five uh, I'm very, very excited. I'm so excited. Um, also, before I start the chapter, I'm going to go ahead and rebalance some of my sound, but um, we started with, with uh, book five. We see Harry listening for news, any news he can get from the Wizarding World, anything that would indicate that uh, they've sort of wised up to the fact that Voldemort is back. The most evil wizard in recent memory is back, the, the, the evil wizard that killed his parents. But no news comes. Um, takes a walk around the neighborhood. Hara honestly harasses Dudley a little bit and then uh, he and Dudley go down a back alleyway where they are waylaid by two Dementors Dementors in a muggle neighborhood in uh, in a very muggle town um, what? what's going on here? why are they here? what's happening? Um, he Harry barely manages to fend them off and then suddenly um, his old baby slitter baby wow Babysitter slash, babysitter slash, um, neighbor, uh, is running up and saying not to put his wand away because the Dementors might come back. That's where we're at. Okay, I'm gonna get started. Uh, Nathan, I just appreciate having you as a mod anyway. It's all good, man. It does, it does prove difficult, but... At some point, we're going to be able to, to collaborate with this in some way. All right. Let's do it. Sorry about the beans. I'll have more next week. Also, I apologize about the donuts. I, I was in a rush, and so I had to uh, calm some things down. Walt, said Harry blankly. 
He left, said Mrs. Fig, wringing out her hand. He left to see something about a batch of cauldrons that fell off the back of a broom. I told him I'd flay him alive if he went, and now look, Dementors! It's just lucky I put Mr. Tibbles on the case, but we haven't got time to stand around. Harry, now, we, we've got to get you back. Uh, the trouble is, oh, this is going to cause so much trouble, I will kill him. But the revelation that his batty old cat-obsessed neighbor knew what Dementors were was almost as big of a shock to Harry as meeting two of them down the alleyway. You're... you're a witch? I'm a squib! as Mondungus knows full well, so how on earth was I supposed to help you fight off two Dementors? He left you completely without cover when I warned him. This bloke, Mondungus, has been following me? Hang on. It was him. He disapparated in front of my house. Yes, 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 but luckily I'd stationed Mr. Tibbles under a car just in case. Mr. Tibbles came and warned me, but by the time I got to your house, you'd gone, and now, oh, what's Dumbledore going to say? You! She shrieked at Dudley, still supine on the ground. Get your fat bottom off the ground, quick! You know Dumbledore? said Harry, staring at her. Of course I know Dumbledore. Who doesn't know Dumbledore? But come on, there'll be no help if they come back. I have never so much as transfigured a tea bag. She stooped down seized one of Dudley's massive arms in her wizened hands and tugged. Get up, you useless lump! Get up! But Dudley either could not or would not move. He was still lying on the ground, trembling and ashen-faced, his mouth very tight. I'll do it! Harry took hold of Dudley's arm and heaved. With an enormous effort, he managed to hoist Dudley to his feet. Dudley seemed to be on the point of fainting. His small eyes were rolling back in their sockets sweat was beating his face. The moment Harry let go of him, he swayed dangerously. Hurry up, said Mrs. Fig hysterically. Harry pulled one of Dudley's massive arms around his own shoulder. Oh, excuse me. Harry, oh, I was right. Harry pulled one of, I didn't turn away. I'm going to work on it. I'm sorry. Uh, Harry pulled one of Dudley's massive arms around his own shoulders and dragged him toward the road, sagging slightly under his weight. Mrs. Fig tottered along in front of them, peering anxiously around the corner. Keep your wand out, she told Harry, as they entered Wisteria Walk. Never mind the Statue of Secrecy now. It's going to be hell to pay anyway. We might as well be hanged for a dragon and an egg. Talk about the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery. This was exactly what Dumbledore was afraid of. What's that at the end of the street? Oh, it's just Mr. Prentice. Don't put your wand away, boy. Don't I keep telling you, I'm no use. It was not easy to hold a wand steady and carry Dudley along at the same time. Harry gave his cousin an impatient dig in the ribs, but Dudley seemed to have lost all desire for independent movement. He was slumped on Harry's shoulder, his large feet dragging along the ground. Why didn't you tell me that you're a squib? Harry asked Mrs. Fig, panting with the effort of keeping up with her. All those times I came round to your house, why didn't you say anything? Dumbledore's orders. I was to keep an eye on you, but not say anything. You were too young. I'm sorry I gave you such a miserable time, but the Dursleys would never let you come back if they thought that you enjoyed it. Wasn't easy, you know. But, oh, my word, she said tragically, wringing her hands once more. When Dumbledore hears about this, how could Mundungus have left? He was supposed to be on duty till midnight. 
operation. How am I going to tell them below what's happened? I can't operate. I've got an owl. You can borrow her, Harry groaned, wondering whether his spine was going to snap under Dudley's weight. Harry, you don't understand. Dumbledore will need to act as quickly as possible. The Ministry have their own ways of detecting underage magic. They're gonna know already, you mark my words. But I was getting rid of Dementors. I had to use magic. They're going to be more worried about Dementors floating around Wisteria Walk, surely. Oh, my dear, I wish it was so, but I'm afraid... Mandamus Fisher, I am going to kill you! There was a loud crack, and a strong smell of mingled, mingled drink and stale tobacco filled the air as a squat, unshaven man in a tattered overcoat materialized right in front of them. He had short, bandy legs, long, straggly ginger hair, and bloodshot eyes, baggy ones that came from the doleful look of a basset hound. He was also clutching a silvery bundle Harry recognized at once as an invisibility cloak. What's up, Viggy? he said, staring from Mrs. Fig to Harry and Dudley. What happened to staying undercover? I'll give you undercover, cried Mrs. Fig. Dementors! Dementors, you sneaky, striving sneak thief! Dementors, repeated Mundungus, aghast. Dementors, here! Yes, here, you worthless pile of bat droppings, here! shrieked Mrs. Fig. Dementors, attack the boy on your watch! Blimey! said Mundungus weakly, looking from Mrs. Fig to Harry and back again. Blimey, I, uh, I... And you off buying stolen cauldrons. Didn't I tell you not to go, didn't I? Well, I, um... Mundungus looked deeply uncomfortable. It, uh, it was a very good business opportunity, see? Mrs. Fig raised the arm from which her string bag dangled and whacked Mundungus across the face and neck with it. Judging by the clanking noise it made, it was full of cat food. Ouch! Ouch! Get off! Get off, you mad old bat! Someone's gotta tell Dumbledore! Yes, they have! yelled Mrs. Fig, still swinging the bag of cat food at every bit of Mundungus she could reach. And it had better be you! And you can tell him why you weren't there to help! Keep your hairnet on, said Mundungus, his arms over his head, cowering. I'm going! I'm going! And with another loud crack, he vanished. I hope Dumbledore murders him, said Mrs. Fig furiously. Now come on, Harry, what are you waiting for? Harry decided not to waste his remaining breath on pointing out that he could barely walk under Dudley's bulk. He gave the semi-conscious Dudley a heave and staggered forward. I'll take you to the door, said Mrs. Fig as they turned into Privet Drive. Just in case there are more of them around. Oh, my word, what a catastrophe, and you had to fight them off yourself. Dumbledore said that we were to keep you from doing magic at all costs. Oh, it's no good crying over spill potion, I suppose. But the cat's among the pixies now. So, Harry panted, Dumbledore's been having me followed? Of course he has, said Mrs. Fig impatiently. Did you expect him to let you wander around on your own? After what happened in June, good lord, boy, they told me you were intelligent. Right, now get inside and stay there, she said. They reached number four. I expect someone will be in touch with you soon enough. What are you going to do? asked Harry quickly. I'm going straight home, said Mrs. Fig, staring around the dark streets and shuddering. I need to wait for more instructions. Just stay in the house. Good night.
Hang on, I don't go yet, I want to know. But Mrs. Fig had already set off at a trot. Carpet slippers flopping, string bag clinking. Wait, Harry shouted after her. He had a million questions to ask anyone who was in contact with Dumbledore. But within seconds, Mrs. Fig was swallowed by the darkness. Scowling, Harry readjusted Dudley on his shoulder and made his slow, painful way up Number Four's garden path. I'm glad you guys like Mundungus. He's one of my favorites, too. The hall light was on. Harry stuck his wand back inside the waistband of his jeans, rang the bell, and watched Aunt Petunia's outline grow larger and larger, oddly distorted by the rippling glass in the front door. Diddy, about time. I was getting quite... quite... Diddy, what's the matter? Harry looked sideways at Dudley and ducked out from under his arm just in time. Dudley swayed for a moment on the spot, his face pale green. Then he opened his mouth at last and vomited all over the doormat. Daddy! Daddy, what's the matter with you? Vernon! Vernon! Harry's uncle came galumphing out of the living room. Walrus mustache blowing hither and thither as it always did when he was agitated. He hurried forward to help Aunt Petunia negotiate a weak-kneed Dudley over the threshold, while avoiding stepping in the pool of sick. He's ill, Vernon! What is it, son? What's happened? Did Mrs. Polkis give you something foreign for tea? Why are you all covered in dirt, darling? Have you been lying on the ground? Hang on. You haven't been mugged, have you, son? Aunt Petunia screamed. Phone the police, Vernon. Phone the police. Diddy, darling, speak to Mummy. What did they do to you? In all the kerfuffle, nobody seemed to have noticed Harry, which suited him perfectly. He managed to slip inside just before Uncle Vernon slammed the door, and while the Dursleys made their noisy progress down the hall toward the kitchen, Harry moved carefully and quietly toward the stairs. Who did it, son? Give us names. We'll get them, don't worry. He's trying to say something, Vernon. What is it, Diddley? Tell Mummy. Harry's foot was on the bottommost stair when Dudley found his voice. Him. Harry froze, foot on the stair, face screwed up, braced for the explosion. Boy, come here. With a feeling of mingled dread and anger, Harry removed his foot slowly from the stair and turned to follow the Dursleys. The scrupulously clean kitchen had an oddly unreal glitter after the darkness outside. Opportunity was ushering Dudley into a chair. He was still very green and clammy-looking. Uncle Vernon was standing in front of the draining board, glaring at Harry through tiny, narrowed eyes. What have you done to my son? He said in a menacing growl. Nothing, said Harry, knowing perfectly well that Uncle Vernon wouldn't believe him. What did he do to you, did he? Aunt Petunia said in a quivering voice, now sponging sick from the front of Dudley's leather jacket. Was it? Was it? You know what, darling? And did he use his thing? Slowly, tremulously, Dudley nodded. I didn't, Harry said sharply, as Aunt Petunia let out a wail and Uncle Vernon raised his fists. I didn't do anything to him. It wasn't me. It was... 
But at that precise moment, a screech owl swooped in through the kitchen window, narrowly missing the top of Uncle Vernon's head. It soared across the kitchen, dropped the large parchment envelope it was carrying in its beak at Harry's feet, and turned gracefully, the tops of its wings just brushing the top of the fridge, then zoomed out again and off across the garden. Owls! bellowed Uncle Vernon, the well-worn vein in his temple pulsing angrily as he slammed the kitchen window shut. Owls again! I will not have more owls in my house! But Harry was already ripping open the envelope and pulling out the letter inside, his heart pounding somewhere in the region of his Adam's apple. Mr. Potter, we have received intelligence that you have performed the Patronus charm at 23 minutes past 9 this evening in a muggle-inhabited neighborhood and in the presence of a muggle. The severity of this breach of the decree of the reasonable restriction for underage sorcery has resulted in your expulsion from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Ministry representatives will be calling at your place of residence shortly to destroy your wand. As you have already received an official warning for a previous offense under Section 13 of the International Confederation of Wizards Statute of Secrecy, we regret to inform you that your presence is required at a disciplinary hearing at the Ministry of Magic at 9 a.m. on August 12th. Hoping you are well, yours sincerely, Mafalda Hopkirk, Improper Use of Magic Office, Ministry of Magic. Harry read through the letter twice. He was only vaguely aware of Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia talking in the vicinity. Inside his head, all was icy and numb. One fact had penetrated his consciousness like a paralyzing dart. He was expelled from Hogwarts. It was all over. He was never going back. He looked up at the Dursleys. Uncle Vernon was purple-faced, shouting, his fists still raised. Aunt Petunia had her arms around Dudley, who was retching again. Harry's temporarily stupefied brain seemed to reawaken. Ministry representatives will be calling at your place of residence shortly to destroy your wand. There was only one thing for it. He would have to run, now. Where he was going to go, Harry didn't know, but he was certain of one thing. At Hogwarts or outside it, he needed his wand. In an almost dreamlike state, he pulled his wand out and turned to leave the kitchen. Where do you think you're going? yelled Uncle Vernon. When Harry didn't reply, he pounded across the kitchen to block the doorway into the hall. I haven't finished with you, boy. Get out of the way, said Harry quietly. You're going to stay here and explain how my son... If you don't get out of the way, I'm going to jinx you, said Harry, raising his wand. You can't pull that one on me, snarled Uncle Vernon. I know you're not allowed to use it outside that madhouse you call a school. The madhouse has chucked me out, said Harry, so I can do whatever I like. You've got three seconds. One, two... A resounding crack filled the kitchen. Aunt Petunia screamed. Uncle Vernon yelled and ducked, but for the third time that night, Harry was staring at the source of a disturbance he had not made. He spotted it at once. A dazed and ruffled-looking barn owl was sitting outside the kitchen's windowsill, having just collided with the closed window. I accidentally reused my disapparating noise. It's fine. Ignoring Uncle Vernon's anguished yell of OWLS, Harry crossed the room at a run and wrenched the window open again. The owl stuck out its leg, to which a small roll of parchment was tied, shook its feathers, and took off the moment that Harry had pulled off the letter. Hands shaking, Harry unfurled the second message, which was very hastily written in uh, blotchy ink. 
Harry, Dumbledore's just arrived at the Ministry and he's trying to sort it all out. Do not leave your aunt and uncle's house. Do not do any more magic. Do not surrender your wand. Arthur Weasley. Dumbledore was trying to sort it all out. What did that mean? How much power did Dumbledore have to override the Ministry of Magic? Was there a chance that he might be allowed back to Hogwarts then? A small shoot of hope burgeoned in Harry's chest, almost immediately strangled by panic. How was he supposed to refuse to surrender his wand without doing magic? He'd have to duel with the Ministry representatives, and if he did that, he'd be lucky to escape Azkaban, let alone expulsion. His mind was racing. He could run for it and risk being captured by the Ministry, or stay put and wait for them to find him here. He was much more tempted by the former course, but he knew Mr. Weasley had his best interests at heart. And after all, Dumbledore had sorted out much worse than this before. Right, Harry said. I've changed my mind. I'm staying. He flung himself down at the kitchen table and faced Dudley and Aunt Petunia. The Dursleys appeared taken aback at his abrupt change of mind. Aunt Petunia glanced despairingly at Uncle Vernon. The vein in Uncle Vernon's purple temple was throbbing worse than ever. And who are all of these ruddy owls from? He growled. The first one was from the Ministry of Magic, expelling me, said Harry calmly. He was straining his ears to catch noises outside in case Ministry representatives were approaching. And it was easier and quieter to answer Uncle Vernon and it was easier and quieter to answer Uncle Vernon's questions than to have him start raging and bellowing. The second one was from my friend's Ron. My... The second one was from my friend Ron's dad. He works at the Ministry. Ministry of Magic? Bellowed Uncle Vernon. People like you in government? Oh, this explains everything. No wonder the country's going to the dogs. When Harry did not respond... Uncle Vernon glared at him and then spat. And why have you been expelled? Because I did magic. Aha! Roared Uncle Vernon, slamming his fist down at the top of the fridge, which sprang open. Several of Dudley's low-fat snacks toppled out of it and burst on the floor. So you admit it. What did you do to Dudley? Nothing, said Harry, slightly less calmly. That wasn't me. Was muttered Dudley unexpectedly, and Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia instantly made flapping gestures at Harry to quiet him, while they both bent low over Dudley. "'Go on, son,' said Uncle Vernon. "'What did he do?' "'Tell us, darling.' "'He pointed his wand at me,' Dudley mumbled. "'Yes, I did, but I didn't use—' Harry began angrily. "'Shut up!' roared Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia in unison. "'Go on, son.' repeated Uncle Vernon, mustache blowing about furiously. All dark, Dudley said hoarsely, shuddering. Everything dark. Then I heard things inside my, my, my head. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia exchanged looks of utter horror. If their least favorite thing in the world was magic, Closely followed by neighbors who cheated more than they did on the hosepipe ban, people who heard voices were definitely in the bottom ten. They obviously thought Dudley was losing his mind. What sort of things did you hear, Popkin? 
breathed Aunt Petunia, very white-faced and with tears in her eyes. But Dudley seemed incapable of saying. He shuddered again and took his large, blonde head, uh, shook his large, blonde head, and despite the sense of numb dread that had settled on Harry since the arrival of the first owl, he felt a certain curiosity. Dementors caused a person to relive the worst moments of their life. What would spoiled, pampered, bullying Dudley have been forced to hear? "'How come you fell over, son?' said Uncle Vernon in an unnaturally quiet voice, the kind of voice he would adopt at the bedside of a very ill person. "'Tripped,' said Dudley shakily, and then—' He gestured at his massive chest. Harry understood. Dudley was remembering the clammy cold that filled the lungs as hope and happiness were sucked out of you. Horrible, croaked Dudley. Cold, really cold. Okay, said Uncle Vernon in a voice of forced calm, while Aunt Petunia laid an anxious hand on Dudley's forehead to feel his temperature. What happened then, Daddy? Felt, 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 felt as if, as if, as if you'd never be happy again, Harry supplied tonelessly. Yes, Dudley whispered, still trembling. So, said Uncle Vernon, voice restored to full and considerable volume as he straightened up. So you put some crackpot spell on my son so that he'd hear voices and believe she was doomed to misery or something, did you? How many times do I have to tell you? said Harry, temper and voice rising together. It wasn't me, it was a couple of Dementors. A couple of... What is this codswallop? Dementors, said Harry slowly and clearly. Two of them. And what the ruddy hell are Dementors? They guard the wizard prison, Azkaban, said Aunt Petunia. Two seconds ringing silence followed these words, and then Aunt Petunia clapped her hand over her mouth as though she had just let slip a disgusting swear word. Uncle Vernon was goggling at her. Harry's brain reeled. Mrs. Fig was one thing, but Aunt Petunia? How do you know that? he asked her, astonished. Aunt Petunia looked quite appalled with herself. She glanced at Uncle Vernon and fearful apology, then lowered her hand slightly to reveal her horsey teeth. I heard that awful boy telling her about them years ago, she said jerkily. If you mean my mum and dad, why don't you use their names, said Harry loudly, but Aunt Petunia ignored him. She seemed horribly flustered. Harry was stunned. Except for one outburst years ago, in the course of which Aunt Petunia had screamed that Harry's mother had been a freak, he had never heard her mention her sister. He was astonished that she had remembered this scrap of information about the magical world for so long, when she usually put all of her energies into pretending he didn't exist. Uncle Vernon opened his mouth, closed it again, opened it once more, shut it, then, apparently struggling to remember how to talk, opened it for a third time, and croaked, <coughs> So, so, they, um, uh, they actually exist, do they? 
Dementi Watsits. Aunt Petunia nodded. Uncle Vernon looked from Aunt Petunia to Dudley to Harry as if hoping somebody was going to shout, April Fool! When nobody did, he opened his mouth yet again, but was spared the struggle to find more words by the arrival of a third owl of the evening, which zoomed in through the still-open window like a feathery cannonball and landed with a clatter on the kitchen table, causing all three of the Dursleys to jump with fright. Harry tore a second, official-looking envelope from the owl's beak and ripped it open as the owl swooped back out into the night. Enough effing owls, muttered Uncle Vernon distractedly, <laughs> stomping over the window and slamming it shut again. Dear Mr. Potter, further to our letter of approximately 22 minutes ago, the Ministry of Magic has revived its decision to destroy your wand forthwith. You may retain your wand until your disciplinary hearing on the 12th of August, at which time an official decision will be taken. Following discussions with the Headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, the Ministry has agreed that the question of your expulsion will all be so... Oh, I was so close. I almost had these letters done. Dang it. The Ministry has agreed that the question of your expulsion will also be decided at that time. You should therefore consider yourself suspended from school pending further inquiries. Your best wishes, yours sincerely, Mafalda Hopkirk, Improper Use of Magic Office, Ministry of Magic. Harry read this letter through three times in quick succession. The miserable knot in his chest loosened slightly at the thought that he was not definitely expelled, though his fears were by no means banished. Everything seemed to hang on this hearing on the 12th of August. Well, said Uncle Vernon, recalling Harry to his surroundings. What now? Have they sentenced you to anything? Do your lot have the death penalty? He added as a hopeful afterthought. I've got to go to a hearing, said Harry. And they'll sentence you there? I suppose so. I won't give up then, said Uncle Vernon nastily. Well, if that's all said Harry, getting to his feet. He was desperate to be alone, to think, perhaps send a letter to Ron, Hermione, or Sirius. No, it running well is not all, bellowed Uncle Vernon. Sit back down. What now? said Harry impatiently. Dudley, roared Uncle Vernon. I want to know exactly what happened to my son. Fine, yelled Harry, and in his temper red and gold sparks shot out of the end of his wand, still clutched in his hands. All three Dursleys flinched, looking terrified. Linz, you are correct. It actually says effing. <laughs> E-F-F-I-N-G. Dudley and I were in the alleyway between Magnolia Crescent and Mysteria Walk, said Harry, speaking fast, fighting to control his temper. Dudley thought that he'd be smart with me, so I pulled out my wand, but I didn't use it. Then two Dementors turned up. But what are Dementoids? asked Uncle Vernon furiously. What, what, what do they do? I told you they suck all the happiness out of you, said Harry, and if they get the chance, they'll kiss you. Kiss you? said Uncle Vernon, his eyes popping slightly. Kiss you? That's what they call it, when they suck the soul out from your mouth. Aunt Petunia uttered a soft scream. His soul? If they didn't take his... he's still got his... his... She shook Dudley by the shoulders, as though testing to see whether he, she could hear his soul rattling around inside of him. Of course they didn't get his soul. You'd know if they had, said Harry, exasperated. Who fought them off, did you, son? said Uncle Vernon loudly, with the appearance of a man struggling to bring the conversation back into a plane that he understood. 
Give them the old one-two, did you? You can't give a Dementor the old one-two, said Harry through clenched teeth. Why is he all right, then? blustered Uncle Vernon. Why isn't he all empty, then? Because I used the Patronus. With a clattering, a whirring of wings, and a soft fall of dust, a fourth owl came shooting out of the kitchen fireplace. God's sake! roared Uncle Vernon, pulling great clumps of his hair out of his mustache, something he had not been driven to in a long time. I will not have owls here! I will not tolerate this, I tell you! But Harry was already pulling a roll of parchment from the owl's leg. He was so convinced that this letter had to be from Dumbledore, explaining everything. The Dementors, Mrs. Fig, what the Ministry was up to, how he, Dumbledore, intended to sort everything out. For the first time in his life, he was disappointed to see Sirius's handwriting. Ignoring Uncle Vernon, ignoring, ignoring Uncle Vernon's ongoing rant about owls and narrowing his eyes against the cloud of dust that the most recent owl took off. Uh, sorry, ignoring Uncle Vernon's ongoing rant about owls and narrowing his eyes against a second cloud of dust as the most recent owl took off back up the chimney, Harry read Sirius's message. Arthur just told us what happened. Don't leave your house, whatever you do. Harry found this such an inadequate... Harry found this such an inadequate response to everything that had happened tonight that he turned the piece of parchment over. Piece of parchment over, looking for the rest of the letter, but there was nothing there. And now his temper was rising again. Wasn't anybody going to say well done for fighting off two Dementors single-handedly? Both Mr. Weasley and Sirius were acting as though he'd misbehaved and they were saving their tellings off for when they could ascertain how much damage he had done. A, a pack, I mean a pack of owls shooting in and out of my house and I won't have it, boy, I won't. I can't stop the owls coming, Harry snapped, crushing Sirius's letter in his fist. I want the truth about what happened tonight, barked Uncle Vernon. If it was Dementors who hurt Dudley, how come you've been expelled? You did, you know what? You've admitted it! Harry took a deep, steadying breath. His head was beginning to ache again. He wanted more than anything to get out of the kitchen, away from the Dursleys. I did the Patronus charm to get rid of the Dementors, he said, forcing himself to remain calm. It's the only thing that works against them. But what were these Dementors doing in little winging? said Uncle Vernon in tones of outrage. I couldn't tell you, said Harry wearily. No idea. His head was pounding in the glare of the strip lighting now. His anger was ebbing away. He felt drained, exhausted. The Dursleys were all staring at him. It's you, said Uncle Vernon forcefully. It's got something to do with you, boy, I know it. Why else would they turn up here? Why else would they be uh, down that alleyway? You've got to be the only... Uh, the only... Uh, Evidently he couldn't bring himself to say the word wizard. The only you-know-what for miles. I don't know why they were here. But at these words of Uncle Vernon's, Harry's exhausted brain ground back into action. Why had the Dementors come to Little Winging? How could it be a coincidence that they had arrived in the alleyway where Harry was? 
they been sent? Had the Ministry of Magic lost control of the Dementors? Had they deserted Azkaban and joined Voldemort, as Dumbledore had predicted that they would? These Demen... Dememberz got some weirdos prison? asked Uncle Vernon, lumbering in the wake of Harry's train of thought. Yes, said Harry. If only his head would stop hurting. If only he could just leave the kitchen and get back to his dark bedroom and think. Oh, they were coming to arrest you, said Uncle Vernon, with a triumphant air of a man reaching an unassailable conclusion. That's it, isn't it, boy? You're on the run from the law. Of course I'm not, said Harry, shaking his head as though to scare off a fly, his mind racing now. Then why? He must have sent them, said Harry quietly, more to himself than to Uncle Vernon. What's that? Who must have sent them? Lord Voldemort, said Harry. He registered dimly how strange it was that the Dursleys, who flinched, winced, and squawked if they heard words like wizard, magic, or wand, could hear the name of the most evil wizard of all time without the slightest tremor. Lord, hang on, said Uncle Vernon, his eyes screwed up. A look of dawning comprehension in his piggy eyes. I've heard that name. That was the one who... Murdered my parents, yes, Harry said. But uh, he's gone, said Uncle Vernon impatiently, without the slightest sign that the murder of Harry's parents might be a painful topic to anybody. That uh, giant bloke said so. He's gone. He's back, said Harry heavily. It felt very strange to be standing in Aunt Petunia's surgically clean kitchen, beside the top of the range fridge and the widescreen television, talking calmly of Lord Voldemort to Uncle Vernon. The arrival of the Dementors and Little Wingings seemed to have caused a breach in the great invisible wall that divided the relentlessly non-magical world of Privet Drive and the world beyond. Harry's two lives had somehow become fused, everything had been turned upside down. The Dursleys were asking for details about the magical world, and Mrs. Fig knew Albus Dumbledore. Dementors were soaring around little winging, and he might never go back to Hogwarts. Harry's head throbbed more painfully. Back, whispered Aunt Petunia, who was looking at Harry as though she had never seen him before. And all of a sudden, for the very first time in his life, Harry fully appreciated that Aunt Petunia was his mother's sister. He could not have said why it hit him so powerfully at this moment. All he knew was that he was not the only person in the room who had an inkling of what Lord Voldemort being back might mean. Aunt Petunia had never in her life looked at him like that before. Her large, pale eyes, so unlike her sister's, were not narrowed in dislike or anger. They were wide and fearful. The furious pretense that Aunt Petunia had maintained all Harry's life that there was no magic and no other world than the one she inhabited with Uncle Vernon seemed to have fallen away. Yes, Harry said, talking directly to Aunt Petunia now. He came back a month ago. I saw him. Her hands found Dudley's massive leather-clad shoulders and clutched them. Uh, hang on, 
said Uncle Vernon, looking from his wife to Harry and back again, apparently dazed and confused by the unprecedented understanding that seemed to have sprung up between them. Hang on! This Lord Voldy thingy is back, you say? Yes. The one who murdered your parents? Yes. And now he's sending dismembers after you? It looks like it, said Harry. I see, said Uncle Vernon, looking from his white-faced wife to Harry and hitching up his trousers. He seemed to be swelling, his great purple face stretching before Harry's eyes. Well, that settles it, he said, his shirt front straining as he inflated himself. You can get out of this house, boy! What? said Harry. You heard me? Out! Uncle Vernon bellowed, and even Aunt Petunia and Dudley jumped. Out! Out! I should have done it years ago! Owls treating the place like a rest home, puddings exploding, half the lounge destroyed, Dudley's tail, Marge bounding around the ceiling, that flying Ford Anglia. Out! Out! You've had it! Your history! You're not staying here as some loonies after you! You're not endangering my wife and son. You're not bringing trouble down on us. If you're going the same way as your useless parents, I've had it. Out! Harry stood rooted to the spot. The letters from the Ministry, Mr. Weasley, and Sirius were crushed in his left hand. Do not leave the house again, whatever you do. Do not leave your aunt and uncle's house. You heard me, said Uncle Vernon, bending forward now so that his massive purple face came closer to Harry's so that Harry actually felt flecks of spit hit his Get going! You were all keen to leave half an hour ago. I'm right behind you. Get out and never darken our doorstep again. Why we ever kept you in the first place, I don't know. Marge was right. I should have been in the orphanage. We were too damn soft for our own good. Thought we should squash it out of you. Thought we could turn you normal, but you've been rotten from the beginning, and I've had enough owls! A fifth owl zoomed down to the chimney so fast it actually hit the floor before zooming back into the air again with a loud screech. Harry raised his hand and seized the letter, which was in a scarlet envelope, but it soared straight over his head, flying directly at Aunt Petunia, who let out a scream and ducked, her arms over her face. The owl dropped the red envelope on her head, turned, and flew straight up the chimney again. Harry darted forward to pick up the letter, but Aunt Petunia beat him to it. You can open if you like, said Harry, but I'll hear what it says anyway. That's a howler. Let go of it, Petunia, roared Uncle Vernon. Don't touch it, it could be dangerous. It's addressed to me, said Aunt Petunia, in a shaking voice. It's addressed to me, Vernon. Look, Mrs. Petunia Dursley, the kitchen, number four, private drive. She caught her breath, horrified. The red envelope had begun to smoke. Open it, Harry urged her. Get it over with. It'll happen anyway. No! Aunt Petunia's hand was trembling. She looked wildly around the kitchen as though looking for an escape route, but too late. The envelope burst into flames. Aunt Petunia screamed and dropped it. An awful voice filled the kitchen, echoing in the confined space, issuing from the burning letter on the table. Remember my last Petunia. Aunt Petunia looked as though she might faint. She sank into the chair beside Dudley, her face in her hands. 
The remains of the envelope smoldered into ash in the silence. What, what, what is this? Uncle Vernon said hoarsely. What? I, I, I don't... Uh, Petunia? Aunt Petunia said nothing. Dudley was staring stupidly at his mother, his mouth hanging open. The silence spiraled horribly. Harry was watching his aunt, utterly bewildered, his head throbbing fit to burst. Petunia, dear, said Uncle Vernon timidly. Petunia? She raised her head. She was still trembling. She swallowed. The boy... The boy will have to stay, Vernon, she said weakly. What? He stays, she said. She was not looking at Harry. She got to her feet again. He... but Petunia... If we throw him out, the neighbors will talk, she said. She was regaining her usual brish, brisk, snappish manner rapidly, though she was still very pale. They'll ask awkward questions. They'll want to know where he's gone. They'll have to keep him. Uncle Vernon was deflating like an old tire. But, uh, Petunia, dear. Aunt Petunia ignored him. She turned to Harry. You're to stay in your room, she said. You're not to leave the house. Now get to bed. Harry didn't move. Who was that howler from? Don't ask questions. Aunt Petunia snapped. Are you in touch with wizards? I told you to go to bed. What did it mean? Remember the last what? Go to bed. How come you heard your aunt now get to bed? And that is the end of chapter two. So, as I said before, I'm curious about feedback. I want to hear what you thought of the, uh, the background music. I want to hear what you thought about the sound effects. Sound balance information is good. I appreciate it. Uh, along with that, that note to pop a little quieter. I appreciate that very much. Rachel, I hope... Uh, <laughs> if you're still here, I hope uh, you ha you're having a great time. I'm very happy you're doing that. I think that's fantastic. Um... Linz is asking, what music am I hearing? A movie soundtrack, maybe? Um, all of the music is from a website called Incompetech. Um, and it is a website where you can find royalty-free music. Um, uh, there's a guy named Kevin, uh, Kevin McLeod, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, you can probably thank him in part for why YouTube has become what it is. If you go into his music and you listen to that library, um, he's got hundreds of songs in there, and you can use them royalty free, uh, without getting uh, you know without getting permission or or what have you. You can just use them. Um, you are going to if you go in there, you will recognize a number of songs, um, things that have gotten like big things that songs that have uh really propagated out over the internet um through various social media uh platforms um i believe some of his music was even used in a couple of major motion pictures like i think tintin had some of his music i could be wrong about that one but uh it's odd stuff 
I love you, ladies. Julie says, darn, I live in Georgia. An interesting beginning. I'm very pleased. We get to... Uh, we get to... See how it all kicks off. As the wizarding world starts to wake up to the fact that uh, Voldemort is back. What will they do? Will they be in denial, like Fudge? Will they believe, like Dumbledore? Will they act like Dumbledore? We shall see. Thank you all so much for being here. If you would like to continue the conversation after I shut off the stream, which I will be doing so shortly, um, go ahead and... I, I have no beans. I literally I have an empty box of beans right now. Uh, Rachel, thank you for the hookup. I, I think I found a way to get some more. I appreciate it, Rachel. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'll have those for next week. So I've only, I've gotten, I've got zero beans. But uh, after the stream, you can head to the Discord if you wish. Um, I'll be hanging out in there for a little while after the stream. Uh, you can find the link for that in the description below. Uh, once again, if this particular sidecar crashes, I will meet you all on Instagram. That's where I will land. So uh, if you can't find me, head to Instagram. I don't do a lot with it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back into it, but I don't know. It's just not my medium. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't have the instinct to take pictures, even if something like cool is happening. So I hope you have a fantastic week. I will see you next Thursday, uh, and we will continue. We will find out uh, about this confusing, confusing week for Harry. It's, honestly, it's, just, it's been a day. It's all been concentrated in. Uh, <laughs> You expect after weeks and weeks of uh, questions to suddenly get uh, for your very busy, hectic day to suddenly be full of answers. But it turns out uh, weeks and weeks of questions and then suddenly one day of additional, very deeply concentrated questions and nobody's giving him info. So we will learn a bit about what's going on uh, next week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you guys have any input, go ahead and put it in chat or you can put it in the uh, in the comments underneath this video i will see you in a week and i hope you have a wonderful time uh very relaxing relaxing but diligent all right i love reading for you guys have a great night Bye bye